Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we can. Uh, I guess we can kind of roll into things. Welcome everybody to the live CASA Advocacy Update podcast. Thank you all for joining us, uh, everybody on Facebook and on YouTube. Thank you guys for all being here. Much appreciated. I'm Logan, and you all know Alex. Um, Alex has a bunch of great legislation for us today. Fantastic legislation for us today, don't you, Alex? <laughs> Yeah, just super great. Just um, super great. <laughs> well, really, I mean, this is this is this. We're we're going to go through this at lightning speed. I, I checked the um, kind of uh, event schedule for the coming week, and uh, didn't really see anything of, of huge consequence coming up. Doesn't mean it's going to stay that way, um, but uh, the next week or two looks right now to be relatively kind of slow. Um, so. Uh, Take it with a grain of salt and pay attention because things can change. Um, speaking of things changing, uh, we are uh, hearing that the uh, bill in Alaska, a, uh, SB 45, um, this is a tax bill. Uh, I forget the rate at the moment, but um, the the um, the the word I'm hearing is that this may be amended or is being amended to include a flavor ban. Uh, it would also require vapor retailers or, or manufacturers to secure a $10 million bond, um, you know, in the event that like product de uh, defect or, or, or something like that. I, I'm not exactly clear on what the bond is, is all about, but liability is certainly an issue there. So uh, we're keeping tabs on that and we'll update our engagement as soon as we know more. Um, to Connecticut very quickly, I think we might have touched on this last week. Um, but keep hearing from sources that um, the standalone bill, which is uh, SB 326, uh, and this is a flavor ban, um, is actually there's some second guessing going on here and that lawmakers are looking at the hit to revenue that that Connecticut would take uh, and, and, and really re looking at revising the bill. Um, when things like this happen, people should be on guard for it being something that exempts menthol, uh, but may still go after flavored vapor products. Um, so that it sounds kind of promising, but it may turn out to not be all that promising. Um, so still waiting for further word about when is a, when would be a good time for uh, consumers to get involved in this. Um, but right now there's, there's a lot of back and forth about whether or not Connecticut wants to give up that money. Um, this is different from the governor's proposal. Um, the governor's proposal, I believe, also contains a flavor ban um, and uh, is part of the budget. So that's that's kind of its own messy process. Uh, but we're following both of those and I'm checking in with Connecticut people regularly to see, um, you know, whether the timing is right or, you know, where the bill is in, in discussions. Um, so uh, we got Alaska, we got Connecticut. Um, we had, I attended a hearing briefly in Rhode Island this week. Uh, there's a preemption bill or an anti-preemption bill there. Um, for those who are sort of new to the word or the concept, um, what Rhode Island has now is state level preemption for tobacco regulations, meaning that uh, municipalities, counties, uh, cities, they, they can't enact their own, um, for example, tobacco sales restrictions or, or banning smoking or vaping in certain places. Those are decisions that are left up to the state. 
Uh, we agree that tobacco regulation is something that needs to happen at sort of the highest level of government. Ideally, this is something that the federal government is able to do, and you have uniformity across all states. We don't we don't benefit from having a patchwork of regulations. It cr it creates chaos. Uh, and leads to things like activists being able to say, hey, you've got chaos at the local level. We need to enact a state law, which is exactly what they are trying to do. Um, former Governor Gina Raimondo's uh, flavor ban is a failure. Uh, and so they I think they suspect that it will be overturned at the state level. And they want to take that back to the local level to create that patchwork of regulation so that they can then come back to the state and say, hey, we need a statewide flavor ban now. Um, so uh, we support state level preemption for tobacco regulations uh, and spoke out against the bill. Um, you know, I, my brain got ahead of my mouth there. And I think I think we're uh, we're done with the legislative stuff. Wow. <laughs> wow. That was you said lightning fast and you meant it. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, I we talked about the preemption stuff uh, last week. So if anybody wants a, a really detailed discussion about preemption, um, last week's uh, discussion, me and Alex went through quite a bit of it. So that would be a, a, a good source to, to check out. Uh, but well done. Well done on that legislative roundup, sir. Not uh, not all the greatest of news, not all the fantastic news, but uh, definitely stuff that everybody needs to be um, aware of and keeping an eye on for sure. Yeah. Um, so we'll get right into the news. Um, first of all, I, I apologize to you, Logan. In the rundown, I skipped over a really important story that I, I want to make sure um, we highlight before we get into the other stuff. Um, oh, here we go. I need to I need to fix things here. Here we go. There we go. Um, one thing I skipped over was this article in um, uh, Philanthropy. The Chronicle of Philanthropy, read, of course, by people who do philanthropy. Uh, and uh, so this is significant, the fact that this was published in this um, publication. Uh, and it goes through the controversy with Michael Bloomberg essentially paying off the FDA in the Philippines to uh, enact a, 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 a nationwide ban on vapor products and heat not burn. We discussed this last week with the the Inco campaign and the news release. Um, so and my new favorite two words, philanthropic colonialism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just wanted to, to bring everyone's attention to that. We've pulled out a lot of quotes here um, to give you an idea of, of kind of, how um, how critical this is, uh, and and a very important thing I think for people to read. And if you want to learn more about um, you know the overall perspective on on Michael Bloomberg sticking his tentacles in in uh, Southeast Asia and and other countries or low and middle income countries, um, this is certainly a good. It's it's not really an expose, but uh, it, it it's a good good bit of information for people to be familiar with. Um, and of course, Michael Bloomberg dropping 160 million to campaign for tobacco free kids to ban uh, vapor products. And I just wanted, there we go, here we go. Here's some of the funding um, and, and just the size of the organizations that we're unfortunately up against. Uh, tobacco free kids has about 140 staff. Just by comparison, CASA has one. Um, and a budget, they have a budget of $34 million. I'm not even going to talk about ours because it's depressing. Um, 
this is millions of dollars that these groups are able yeah. to spend every year donated by people like my, Michael Bloomberg um, and um, other funding from other sources that is hard to track down. But Danielle Jones has done a very good job of displaying that. If anybody wants to see those videos, they are available, I believe, on our YouTube channel. Um, so... <clears throat> Again, just wanted to draw everybody's attention to that because I skipped over it in the rundown and I don't want to um, let that slide away. So scrolling quickly back up to the top here. Um, we're back at state level legislation in Minnesota. Um, there is an article, of course, that we link to in our uh, our post here about um Clearway, Minnesota, they're sort of the main anti-smoking, anti-tobacco, anti-nicotine group in Minnesota. Um, originally, they were funded in until 2021, this year. Uh, and so they are going back to the legislature and, and of course, demanding that they get more funding. Um, and I, I guess because they believe that their programs are effective. Of course, we know differently in Minnesota that uh, the tax enacted on vapor products discouraged something like 32,000 people from quitting smoking. Um, and of course, uh, Minnesota is looking at more taxes this year and you can find all the details on that and how to get engaged on our website. If you are in Minnesota, please check these two calls to actions, calls to action out. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Um, so anyway, yeah, uh, the uh, Clearway Minnesota is arguing that the state needs to give them more money. Uh, and there are a few bills here that would uh, do something like that. Uh, essentially, uh, Minnesota, like a lot of other states, doesn't spend a whole lot of money on tobacco prevention or education. Uh, it doesn't spend a, a big enough portion of what they get from master settlement agreement disbursements and tobacco tax revenue, um, which is a complaint that I think both sides of this debate have, have lodged at, at lawmakers. Um, certainly in, in any area that's looking to tax vapor products, one of our arguments is the state collects millions of dollars already. Why isn't more of that money going to fund these programs that every supporters of this tax bill claim are so effective? Um, if 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 they are indeed that effective, they should be one hundred percent funded. Um, so, uh, yeah, if, I think Minnesota only spends like three percent or so of of the funding that they get, the 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 revenue that they get. Uh, on education, on prevention, on things like this. So they want more tax, more more money to use towards something that they're spending very little of their money on already. Just highlighting that section in the article that kind of breaks it all down. So yeah, if you want some more detail on that, the link is on our blog post and we'll be at the bottom of this video um, to learn more about what's going on in, in Minnesota and how they how they do or don't spend their tobacco revenue, yeah. um, and of course, as we mentioned, uh, one of the rebuttals to giving these folks any more money is the results of the the ninety five percent tax on nicotine in Minnesota. Uh, and uh, one of our friends re replied to uh, the tweet with this article uh, explaining just that there is actual 
um, adult research from the National Bureau of Economic Research uh, looking at the effect of the tax. Uh, and they, of course, concluded, I don't know if I'm going to be slick enough to highlight it here, um, but 32,400 people were discouraged from quitting smoking as a result of the tax. Uh, and so, yeah, more details on that, of course, if you would like to, to pick up on this article in Market Watch. Um, see, we got the calls to action. Any, I'm going fast. I, you're you're on a time limit. We're all. I'm on a time limit today, everybody. So I just want you guys to know there is there's a legitimate reason why Alex is is like on fire right now. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so moving right along, <clears throat> uh, this one which we link to um, in the Wayback Machine. Sorry, this was paywalled. Uh, if you've used up your one free article from Barron's. Um, how the big tobacco giants can survive the last smoker. This is all about, it should be the last person who smokes. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> this is all about the, the, the possibility that by 2050, um, smoking is completely out of, out of style and no one wants to buy a cigarette, um, which is, I, I mean, depending on, on where your optimism lies. I, I mean, I think, I honestly think within the next five to 10 years, the truth is going to be driving the conversation about vaping. Um, I would love for it to happen sooner. Um, it's possible that as we see products getting authorization from FDA, uh, depending on what those products are, we'll start having a more honest conversation about things. Um, but in the interim, we're stuck with all of these kind of notions of, of tobacco disappearing simply because people are told not to smoke. Um, and they're told where they can smoke too. Um, so, uh, the interesting thing about this, of course, is this little section right here between 2004 and actually kind of 2009, but it won't let me, won't snap to it on the graph. This is of course, prior to the housing crisis, which we know drove smoking rates up a bit. Um, people smoke more in crisis. We're seeing that now with COVID-19. Uh, and so, um, but the plateau happened before all of that. Uh, and many, many of us will point to that and say, this is kind of where traditional tobacco control strategies kind of ran their course. They, they, they don't have much value anymore because you can only tell people to just say no so many times before they stop listening to you because it doesn't work. Um, and uh, so... One of the Speaking points in Australia are a pretty good example of that for a long time, very much just plateaued uh, regardless of campaigns and, and the just say no mantra. So, so yeah, there's definitely a point. I, I agree with you. There's definitely a point where those strategies kind of, you know, fall off uh, and you definitely have that dedicated population of smokers that, you know, just say no or, or quit or die or whatever those, those tactics just, just don't work. Yeah, I mean, we've heard it at every turn, right? We get it from our, our family. We get it from our doctor. We get it from strangers at the grocery store. You should quit sure. smoking. And it's just, it's kind of, don't tell me how to act. That's, yeah, that's kind absolutely. of where I'm at with that's it. That's how I was. Um, I mean, I, I appreciate your concern as long as it's concern. Um, but, you know, like, yeah, just don't yeah. tell me how to act. I'll figure it out. Um, yeah, that was so, me. 100%. I was like, whatever, I'm going to smoke. You know, that was... I'm going to smoke yeah. until I die. That That's where I got to. It was essentially like, don't tell me. I'll just smoke until I die. It's fine. 
pretty much. Yeah. Um, so the, the other thing about uh, this article is is I, I, I like the of course this is this is a, an investment kind of thing. This is not investment advice. I am not a financial advisor. Um, so, um, but yeah, you know, sort of uh, going through. I, I think Altria has a bit of uh, they, they're sort of leading the way in terms of the the, the various tobacco company brands in terms of, of putting the message out that they're transitioning to smoke free products. Um, which I think looks very good to investors. It looks like the company is uh, adopting the new technology and will be you know, ready to move into a smoke-free world. Um, we, and we can have, there's other conversation about that later on, uh, whether or not we really want Altria and Reynolds to be the ones who are doing that. Um, however, from a, a harm reduction perspective, we've said this many times, and I think anytime that tobacco companies come up, we should probably offer this. When we think about deploying reduced risk products very quickly and yeah. putting them in front of the most eyeballs, it's the tobacco companies that already have that infrastructure. Uh, it is, it is, it's a level of, of access that the, the vapor industry has, has not achieved. Um, it's, it is really wonderful to be able to go into a specialty vapor shop and receive that one-on-one -on -one attention, um, but it doesn't translate very well to a convenience store uh, and the products that people find in convenience stores. Um, so at it, 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 the very least, getting these products out in front of, of people who smoke um, the tobacco companies are, are perfectly situated to do that and do it quickly. Um, it's that it's the, the speed at which that happens that's being affected most by the regulation, just like what we're saying about Minnesota and what the study is showing about Minnesota, um, that, that, that heavy regulation is going to slow down adoption and keep people smoking longer. Um, so don't think for a second that shareholders at big tobacco companies don't see that. And of course, every time anything negative comes out about vaping um, in terms of regulation, typically uh, the tobacco company's stocks rise. Again, not financial advice, not a financial advisor. Um, do your own due diligence. So <clears throat> also just just a key point there, um, you know, the incumbent tobacco companies are well positioned, like you said, getting these products into convenience stores and from a harm reduction view, that's meeting people where they're at, right? You know, yeah. if, if you're if you're a person who smokes, you're right there to go get your cigarettes. Maybe you're not, uh, you know, necessarily trying to quit or inclined to quit, but your pro that that vapor product sits right there next to your pack of smokes. There's a much better chance that you'll go, oh, hey, I'll give this a shot. And I know countless people who bought an e-cigarette from a convenience store or a gas station, and it was enough to get them through the doors of a vape shop. So that's 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 exactly my story. I you know I had a little bit of a push because I saw someone being successful with switching, and uh, it took me like a week or so to finally get up the courage to buy something different than a pack of cigarettes. But I saw the 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 sigalikes sitting at the front counter and the marketing says you know one of these is equivalent to two packs of cigarettes and i said whoa 10 bucks that's that's going to save me you know seven or eight bucks i that i how could i not try this so um yeah it was totally on a whim honestly i, I mean yes yeah. i had some motivation to quit smoking and i had seen someone using the products but actually getting to that point where i'm going to lay down 10 bucks for it was just kind of like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, my, so, me trying my very first e-cig in 2011 or so 
was on a whim at a gas station. There was a display, um, you know, for enjoys or whatever they were. And, and I bought one on a whim. I grabbed, bought a pack of cigarettes and I, I bought, you know, I bought one of these just to out of sheer curiosity of, of what the product was. So, yeah. Yeah. So more of that is, is certainly better uh, yeah. for public health. Um, but, you know, another sort of point that, that is raised in our, our blog post is that um, as long as people continue ignoring the, uh, the effect that the availability of vapor products uh, have had on smoking prevalence, um, then, then we're not going to, to, we're just not having an honest conversation about this. And then I, I, I brought up sort of the same graph, but with the CDC flavor on it. Um, <laughs> so um, this is, this more, I think clearly highlights that period of time that between 2005 and 2008, actually smoking rates did not decline. Um, and then this is the part that everybody seems to not be paying attention to this 2012 and, and forward where you can clearly, like if I were to be able to draw a trend line going up and compare it to this, you can see that smoking prevalence declined substantially after 2013, which is when most of us, uh, well, not most of us, but it's, it's when a lot of us picked up the product. Um, yeah. 2013 was when I, I made the switch in February. And it's this is all uh, pre my time in the vapor space or vaping. Um, but I have plenty of friends in this space who, uh, you know, kind of call like that 2012 to 2014 era, quote unquote, the golden age of vaping. Um, products were coming out very regularly. Innovation was happening very quickly. And a lot of people quit smoking in that era that, you know, that like you just showed on the graph, there was a, a huge like it just starts plummeting right there. Yeah. And to answer uh, the question from Apathy Miller, who's asking uh, if e-liquid companies are trying to get into convenience stores, um, I I don't I don't know of any specific brands that are trying. I mean, certainly I think it's reasonable to expect e-liquid manufacturers to partner with closed system devices so that their liquids are, are what is in the device. Um, but, uh, and, and I think, I think we've seen that. I, I don't know specific brands. I don't know if I've seen it specifically, I guess in that fashion. Uh, but I do know there have been a number of e-liquid companies who have gone into the quote unquote disposable, I hate the word disposable for these products, but into the disposable, uh, space. So they, they're making their own closed, uh, disposable systems. But but nothing like I, I don't know uh, of of e liquid manufacturers trying to sell bottled e liquid yeah, in, no, in a convenience store, um, not not out of the realm of possibilities. Uh, wouldn't it be great if we lived in that world where uh, you know you're on the turnpike or something and you have to stop at a service plaza to get a new bottle of liquid? Uh, you're probably going to pay a lot extra for it because you know it's on yeah. the turnpike. But um, it it I I. I would like to see that for, you know, the experienced people who are using refillable devices, um, you know, but also uh, if, if you're like me, then I think you'd rather just visit, visit a local shop. Um, so I, I, that's, that's going to be one of those business calculations that they're going to have to make. I don't really see open systems being sold at convenience stores. I've seen it, but not in any kind of chain. 
Um, there was a gas station here in town, locally owned. It has since shut down, but a few years ago while they were open, uh, they did have one glass cabinet kind of tucked over in the side with a few open systems, a few uh, e-liquids, um, and then like a whole bunch of CBD and other things kind of thrown in there. So you might see that in a, in C stores, uh, but I highly doubt you're going to see it in any major chains. Uh, you might right. see it in a locally owned gas station or shop like that. Um, and yeah, it might be might be like what I saw. You know, one little glass cabinet kind of tucked over to the side has three or four products in it. So I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't hold your breath on e-liquid companies. Uh, you know, selling a lot of bottles in in 7-Eleven or something like that. Yeah. But if they can, what a great place. So what a world it would be. <laughs> um, what a world it would be. So moving right along, some of the other news this week is the reappointment of Vivek Murthy to the position of U.S. Surgeon General. Um, for anybody who was vaping back during the Obama administration, then you'll remember Vivek Murthy, uh, who published, I believe it was the first report on e-cigarettes and youth. Um, I'm we're we're I'm obviously not showing pictures of of any announcement or press release about his um, uh, reinstatement. Uh, instead, I would recommend that people go read Clive Bates' thoughts on this. Um, he has a pretty good breakdown of uh, not just sort of the missteps of the Surgeon General, but uh, a good good way to kind of approach it critically um, with these five questions here. Uh, and this, of course, has since been updated um, with a much longer post. Oh, wait, and while we're there, we've got, the, here's the graph again, rapid and accelerating decline, 2014, 20, look at look at that. Yeah. We got down to 15%, we're, and we're down below that now. Um, and I think, actually, he's got a little bit of a line drawn here. I'm not quite sure what that, oh, it looks like that's just sort of a trend. Um, but right around 5%, that's kind of, that is actually the goal of, of tobacco control folks is, is getting smoking prevalence below 5%. That sort of officially takes it out of epidemic proportion. I'm so sick of that word. Um, yeah, you and but, me both. Yeah. So uh, in any case, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time, you know, giving an overview of, of Clive Bates's post, just encourage people to go read that. If you would like more perspective on all of the damage that Vivek Murthy can do for the next four or eight years, um, hopefully not that long, uh, then Clive Bates has some really good perspective. I would really appreciate it if people like Vivek Murthy um, could abandon the propaganda and really look at the science here. Um, of course, um, it, 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 this gets all the more complicated when we start talking about young people vaping or smoking. Um, but one of the things that Clive Bates is not pulling any punches about is the fact that vapor products used by young people who would otherwise be smoking is indeed a form of harm reduction. Uh, no company should be out there saying, hey, kid, come try our vape products. Um, but I think there is a, a much more critical conversation that we all need to have about what resources are actually available to young people who, who do pick up smoking uh, and, of course, other potentially harmful behaviors. Um, and and, and it, it's just I, we just all have to come to a point where we acknowledge that, you know, 
wrapping kids over the knuckles and 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 just to no don't do that and sticking their nose in it just is not working anymore. Uh, and 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 I think you know the tobacco control side really needs to have a a, a deep look at what they consider to be empowerment. Um, of course, something not featured. In, I'm going all kinds of off script this week, uh, but something else not featured here was um, uh, I, I think I think it might be. It might have something to do with the campaign for tobacco-free kids roast that's coming up, um, or I read it somewhere else. But essentially, it sounded to me like their version of empowerment was as simple as rallying kids against tobacco companies. Like, we're going to identify a common enemy. Y'all get to come together as a group, and then you're empowered because you're friends. Like, that... Oh, that's that, it. That's, that's not the, empowerment. That's the entire level of empowerment there. Yeah, it, it's that's just yeah, it, it's ridiculous. So anyway, read Clive Bates's thoughts on this. I guarantee you, you won't be disappointed, um, and it, it, it may take up quite a bit of your time. So um, that herein ends the regular scheduled portion of our podcast. But for any podcast listeners out there, these episodes, if you don't read the descriptions, these episodes are available on Facebook and on YouTube um, on the CASA pages. So I just wanted before I forgot that, because last week I was like, man, I forgot to I forgot to cater to the podcast listeners and let them uh, let them know. So I want to make sure that we got that in this week. Um, I, do we I have I'll, any? I'll, no, I'll just jump in and, and say for the for the YouTube folks, um, smash that like button, destroy yeah. the subscribe button. And, uh, you know, if you want to know when we go live, click that uh, notification bell. This will be uh, available on the respective places. If you're watching it on YouTube now, there'll be a replay on YouTube. There'll be a replay on Facebook as well. And then I will be turning this video into a, a, a slightly shorter audio version that will be available on SoundCloud and wherever you tune into your podcasts Alex, thank you so much, man, um, for all of that today. I didn't. I feel like I didn't have a whole lot of input. I was just like engaged. I felt like one of the viewers. I was just like Alex, <laughs> Senpai, teach me. Cool, but really no, I, and it, it's my turn for thank yous. Thank you, thank you, Logan, for uh, helping get this off the ground and running. Thank you, Kristen, for putting together our weekly blog post uh, and providing all of the material for this uh, podcast. Um, and, and thank you, Danielle, again, for making this thing look so pretty. I guess we'll just wrap this show up here uh, with one last thank you to everybody. Uh, be safe, everyone. Take care of each other. Uh, be excellent to each other. And remember that we all, together, we are Kassan. All right, guys. We will catch you guys next time. Take care.